So, Luigi, Jay, thank you guys for joining the Protocol Podcast. Super excited to have you here. Avalanche has been a beast in the last couple of weeks, in the last couple of months within the cryptosphere. Um, would love to get your thoughts on what you guys are mostly excited about and talk about Avalanche. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks, Peter. Absolutely. So let's kick off uh, and kind of um, go through a bit of introductions. Uh, Luigi and Jay, you guys have so much history within the universe of crypto and also your backgrounds are quite astonishing as well as the rest of your team. Um, so how did you guys learn about crypto and kind of grew within the ecosystem? Want to go first, Luigi? I'll let you go, Jay. You're good. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I think we, we both have uh, a similar similar kind of trajectory where we've landed um but i think the I'll, I'll keep my, my my background short here so started trading bitcoin in 2011 um got into the ethereum space right when the right around when the white paper came out that was when kind of the professional background of marketing and and also the passion for crypto started to come together uh one thing led to another had my own agency for a little bit um focused on just marketing and, and crypto brands um for from the consulting perspective and then moved on to a firm called Fluidity, where we were building a DEX called AirSwap, as well as building out a security tokens business. That was kind of the two primary directions. And then a little over a year ago, May 2020, joined Avalabs, where I um, was leading marketing and, and trying to figure out how best to make sure that Avalanche is, is, is known far and wide. I think according to your track record and how Avalanche grew in the last couple of weeks, it's, it's big props. <laughs> yeah, I was I was actually looking through some numbers last night and and a year ago yesterday, we were at 17,000 followers on Twitter. Yesterday, we hit 300K. So yep. just to put it into perspective. Who is in charge of making all of those snowboarding and skiing videos? We have to get them on a podcast as well. I know it's it's our design team, and and I think it's a little bit of uh, you know filling in the blanks with the marketing team as well. So a, a group effort. That sounds exciting, Luigi. What about you? Yeah, I mean, um, my background's similar in the way it got started with Jay. Um, you know, I got interested in Bitcoin. Uh, I think it was twenty twelve or twenty thirteen. Uh, was trading it there. My background is in markets and trading. I worked at Citigroup for about seven years, trading credit default swaps uh, and equities. So um, naturally, markets were were something I was interested in. Um, got further involved in the Ethereum space uh, around 2015 and 16. Uh, started going to all the meetups, conferences, meeting a lot of people within the space, uh, and then uh, was able to raise money for my own DAP. Uh, that was that was uh, built in 2017 and 18, and then uh, you know quickly realized that crypto, the infrastructure for the types of DApps that we're building today weren't really available back then, uh, and so um, you know was able to learn a, a ton in that experience, and then uh, got very involved in DeFi naturally, given my my background, it was very interesting to me, uh, and so um, you know when the opportunity came with Ava Labs, uh, was very inclined to take it and join us as director of DeFi focused on really building out this DeFi ecosystem here at, here at, uh, uh, for Avalanche. What's the idea that you've created? I wonder if, uh, the time <coughs> is right. Um, at this current in time of the evolution think, and adoption. I, I think about that a lot. I'm like, wow, we <laughs> built it all here. It is, uh, but we, we built it for uh, a chain called our chain, 
I'm not sure if you've ever mm-hmm. heard of it, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, that's for the, all the OGs out there who I remember um, our chain <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there was, some, there, there were some other issues, you know, there that, that didn't allow it all to work out, but you know, uh, we'd have to, we'd have to write it in solidity at this point to, to bring it back to life. It's still something that I think about because the UI is pretty sweet, but um, you know, for now I'm, I got plenty, plenty of stuff to do <laughs> and no shortage, <laughs> no shortage of, of minutes that are empty. So yeah, looking forward to, uh, to what we have going on here. So it's really interesting that you mentioned that you would rewrite it into Solidity and at the same time, uh, Avalanche has uh, EVM compatibility, which we'll kind of touch upon um, later on. But first, I think we can talk about the uh, what's currently called in the industry as a tier three consensus model um, that Avalanche is introducing, um, which supposedly essentially allows you guys to achieve this transaction finality under one second um and especially after so many updates have been rolled out and the latest one being snowman plus plus where the transaction cost is minuscule compared to the um ethereum chain um what's the one of the most exciting things that you're excited about the architecture of the avalanche and how does it essentially revolutionize uh, the whole space I mean, I'll, I'll just state my, you know, kind of my thoughts. Uh, from my perspective, the ability to come to, to finality so quickly um, while still maintaining decentralization and low cost of hardware is something that, um, you know, was one of the things that really attracted me and still attracts me to Avalanche. You know, it's one thing to scale via hardware. I think we know how that works. Um, it's one thing to, um, you know, have really fast time to finality. Um, with that hardware, but to do it in a way where you still have 1,000 validators, given the chain's only a year old, so that could really scale. But also, um, not only do you have not, not only do you have such decentralization across the network at this point, but also the cost of hardware. Like you could run it on your laptop and node, no issue. And that's that's something that you know um, it provides real inclusion from a networking standpoint. So that's one thing, you know, I could, I could go on about many others, but if I had to pick one, that's, that's something from the architecture standpoint that always excited me. And I think from, from my perspective, that that's totally right. I'll add maybe like two touch points here with a thousand validator stat. That's, um, that's actually something that Avalanche had achieved probably in its early days. I, I think the count must've been that high um, earlier 2021. The thing that um, has has kind of kept it from growing further than that what it is the minimum staking requirement. It's at 2,000 AVOX. And of course, if the token appreciates, it, it gets a little bit harder to meet that minimum staking requirement. So as a team, one of the, the ideas, um, and this likely will happen, is, is to make sure that we can include the decision-making of, of the minimum staking requirement within the, within um, the governance structure or the capabilities. So once that's live, then the community can really dictate what makes most sense for that. So we're hoping that once that's enabled and people decide on what the requirements are or the adjuster requirements are, then then that growth can really start to take take off. I, I really do think so. That that also is incredible with up, the upside opportunity. Um, and then the second point is for for those that are non technical, like perhaps um, Luigi and myself too. I always recommend watching the two, three minute video of, of where Goon describes how 
avalanche consensus works. And effectively you have probabilistic consensus over deterministic consensus. And he kind of goes into the process of why that enables um, the consensus of scale as, as, as best as, as it does. And I think that's a video that I've had to watch many, many times over. So, um, <laughs> but I, I think it is really helpful to watch. It's on YouTube, the avalanche YouTube. Perfect. We'll definitely link that in the description below. I think that's a very valuable resource that even kind of your um, organization even puts out this kind of educational uh, topics. I think it's very valuable, um, especially for somebody who is just getting into crypto and they open up MetaMask and they think it's it's all fake and they can't really get their heads around. Uh, the ability to not only give them this kind of instant um, feedback for their transactions, um, given from my personal perspective, uh, perspective um, about two years ago using the MetaMask and waiting for that transaction to come through with a uh, smart contract you sitting there for 10 minutes and you don't know where your funds are <laughs> whereas yeah. whereas in this case if somebody's transitioned from a traditional finance and they see their trade on uh, some OMS being executed within a couple of seconds I think on Avalanche it kind of gives them the same feedback loop especially within this new feedback economy when you order food and it gets delivered to you within 30 minutes, you post a picture, you get a like immediately. Um, I think that's very valuable. And also the scalability in terms of the costs of the transaction, it lowers the barrier for entry, definitely. Um, one thing that I think um, a lot of people outside of Avalanche um, overlook is that the official launch that happened about a, a month ago, um, back in August, when you guys were waiting for Chainlink oracles to be integrated so that you can launch the D apps and give them the ability to efficiently manage the capital. How is Chainlink playing the role within your ecosystem um, and integrations? Yeah, uh, it's a good point. It's, it's, it's definitely overlooked. Uh, I think, you know, especially considering the timelines coincided with the announcement of Avalanche Rush, um, you know, the, the lines got blurred a little bit, but what I'd say is once Chainlink went live, it allowed us to have our first uh, lending platform, uh, which was Banky on Avalanche. And this is mm -hmm. something that was, you know, basically the community was starved for it <clears throat> because DeFi doesn't really work, frankly, um, without, you know, credit mobility and, and velocity of capital uh, to run through uh, the ecosystem. So with that, that really assisted in, in, in kind of, springboarding the whole DeFi ecosystem. Um, so I would say that, you know, that has allowed lending to go live, which has allowed, you know, then other primitives in DeFi to go live. And uh, it also coincided with the launch of our bridge, which was, uh, which has become a meme effectively on crypto Twitter at this point, um, <laughs> but, but it's, it's got some good UX and, 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 and works nicely. Uh, you know, it, it's funny yesterday I was, uh, I was on Ethereum and I was going to, uh, sell a token and I did the math and it was cheaper for me to bridge it over to Avalanche, sell it and bridge it back than to just swap it on Ethereum. And uh, that's pretty interesting. So, you know, um, I think that those all to answer your question, yeah, Chainlink has definitely uh, assisted in, in springboarding ecosystem. I actually did uh, the same cost analysis um, about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we've posted it on Twitter that at some point in time, when the transaction costs for swap on Uniswap would cost you about $130, um, 
it will be more efficient for you and sometimes even more time efficient because you still have to fight for the block space on Ethereum uh, to bridge it back to Avalanche, swap it, and then bridge it back to Ethereum. I think that's itself speaks for this technology, not only on the transaction to finality on Avalanche, but also the, the bridge itself. Yeah, and I think one the other thing that I've, I've realized also with, with the bridge is I remember when I the first bridge, I guess, in, in this past year that was made, um, or the first bridge I, I personally used was, was the Avalanche bridge. And I know the community was super excited about it. The, the most prominent positive feedback was the UX and experience is excellent. And I was thinking, mm -hmm. okay, why is that? Like, is it because of the speed? Is it because of the UI or front end UI, front end UX? It wasn't really clear. I knew the speed was definitely one of the reasons, but wasn't sure if the rest was. So I went around <clears throat> actually this past weekend and started using a lot of the newer bridges. And uh, of course, <laughs> this, is, this is obvious, but uh, blockchain tools are really hard to use. I think we all uh, on this call maybe normalize a lot of those motions at this point because we we fumbled around with it for hours and figured out how to best to use them. But when you use new new technology in, in the crypto space, especially the that the, uh, the tech that facilitates interoperability, you then really have an appreciation for kind of the simple and elegant design choices that perhaps the Avalanche Bridge has. So you have your eth address and you and through metamask and you connect to the bridge and you just simply send the funds over and it just goes back to the same zero x um, address on the avalanche side because uh because of the evm that's running on top of avalanche so those kind of subtle design choices really go far and you don't actually even if you're you know kind of like the um i guess like the central centralized exchange user who doesn't have super uh, or a lot of exposure to DeFi can still more or less figure out what to do and get the assets transferred over without too much um, complexities. Of course, there are areas of improvement. So I think the team is very much on top of that and, and um, hoping that the bridge meme continues and, and people still uh, continue to enjoy using the bridge to, to transfer assets. I actually 100% agree that UI UX um, is a very crucial piece of um, infrastructure within the blockchain because the backend architecture is so complex for even um, somebody who just graduated college with a finance degree to understand. And therefore we need to kind of the industry as a whole needs to come up and say, okay, we need to simplify the user experience and just hide all majority of the complications in the backend, unless somebody wants to go ahead and explore those. Well, here you go. You have a MetaMask. Um, exactly. Yeah. I think, for example, in um, Avalanche Bridge, the what uh, the one thing that I really liked from my user experience is the availability to see um, the validation part, the so, transaction validation. Yep. Yep. So when you see it goes from one to three to five, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, up to thirty-five, you, you see like the actual process. Whereas the, in the majority of other bridges, like. Um, We've used, for example, Ethereum Tomatic. We've used the Arbitrum. Um, you just basically sit there and wait, and you don't know where the at what point of stage uh, the transaction is being pending. Yeah, it's a little, especially if the whichever side you're going from, especially if the network is slow or congested, it's a little nerve wracking, right? If you don't have, <laughs> it's kind of like you you just send funds into a dark hole and you you wait for however long you wait and. Yep. And I think the yeah the the progress bar minimally will will at least ease some anxieties. Yeah, it kind of gives you 
some sort of time to finality. Yeah, <laughs> no pun yeah, intended. Exactly. Peace of mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, but once kind of uh, the users and uh, the existing users bridge into Avalanche, they're essentially greeted on the, a brand new landing page, which doesn't actually exist in any other blockchain. I think it's it's a very smart conversion tool to actually say, okay, welcome to Avalanche. Um, here's our open arms. Here's the D apps that we have. Here's something that we have upcoming, which is Avalanche Rush. Um, what are you guys mostly excited about Avalanche Rush? And let's talk about what it is first, because there's a lot of confusion um, in terms of what's the dollar amount. And we know, for example, from our side, it has been 10,000 tokens. Um, well, no, 10 million. 10, mil 10 million. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly off. Um, 10 million tokens, right? And do we price them at the current market price or is that, or is that a, a net value that we should price the whole uh, incentive system? Yeah, so uh, it's a good question. Um, you can price them at the current price, uh, but I will say that, you know, the incentives will be deployed over, you know, multi-year horizon. And so it's, quite difficult to price where, <laughs> what they'll be worth, you know, when, when you're considering that time, right? So, so that's important. That's a very important point to make, right? I, I guess as, as of today, you can make the point that it's worth 600, you know, something million dollars, but, uh, you know, it's going to be deployed over time. So you know, what it end, ends up being in terms of dollars at the end remains to be seen, but it is 10 million a box um, for sure. And the incentives, the way that they're being distributed, um, it's not converted back to a stable coin, right? The, the way that you guys are distributing the incentives is through AVEX, the native yeah, token of Avalanche. That's right. It's 10 million uh, AVOX that's, that's been allocated and we deploy that in AVOX for sure. The idea is also, you know, I mean, part of the liquidity mining incentive is to, you know, distribute that asset in people's hands, you know, users' hands, let them, let them have it, let them own it, let them, you know, learn more. Uh, about an ecosystem. I know from my personal experience, the more, you know, whenever I wanted to learn more about something, the first thing I did was buy a little bit, keep it on my screen. Maybe that's the trader in me, but that mm -hmm. was the way that I was always able to kind of, you know, keep my mind active about something. I'm not saying that's the, uh, the overarching reason we've, we, you know, built Avalanche Rush, but um, that's kind of the, uh, that's definitely the approach. I think it's a great idea to spread out the um, reward system uh, throughout a multi-year approach. Like it gives you guys an actual window to deploy and develop the ecosystem further while keeping the liquidity um, interested in additional yield. It gives uh, essentially Avalanche and the dApps a lot more time to say, okay, well, we're starting from, I guess, version 0.1 and then we have essentially two-year horizon to get us to a full scale of version 1.0, let's say. And throughout this iteration, we're rolling out more updates, more features that essentially create this attachment uh, to a certain brand. And I guess this is something very interesting to talk about because when you see new chains spinning up, right? There's this new incentive systems that are being rolled out to attract the liquidity, uh, which is essentially what currently at least, blockchains are essentially striving for. Um, do you think there's going to be some sort of brand attachment later on, whereas right now you see a lot of capital just being moved um, from one chain to another just to grab this piece of a 
additional rewards, additional yields. Sorry, so what, what, what's the question? Um, Do you think uh, in the long term, uh, there's going to be um, essentially a brand attachment from uh, some of the liquidity providers instead of seeking this additional yield? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating question. Um, something that I think about every day, right? You know, liquidity mining is good in terms of providing incentive for people to, you know, try the chain, see the user experience, obviously earn some extra yield. But the question longer term is, you know, is that sustainable for long-term growth of each layer one chain? And, you know, for sure it's not, right? That's, it's not sustainable forever. So uh, at the end of the day, I do think having strong branding associated with the layer one and also having, um, you know, ha also having a uh, um, very core focused culture that developers want to participate in is something that long-term, uh, you know, is what's going what's to accrue value to the chain. You know, in addition to that, you know, when you have native applications deploying on the chain, governance usually lives on that chain. And when you have governance live on the chain, that's where real value can accrue at the end. Um, you know, fees get brought back to that chain uh, from, from, you know, in the multi-chain world. So uh, all that, all that collates to say that at the end of the day, what we need is um, strong brand because the switching costs in terms of layer ones, you know, across a long time horizon will likely be low. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I think this brings back our conversation uh, to the Avalanche Rush um, and kind of talk about what's the overarching reason this was created. From my understanding, it's a bit of 50-50. It's uh, essentially incentivize a brand new liquidity to come into the Avalanche ecosystem, but at the same time, incentivize native dApps development. So tell us about Avalanche Rush. What's the story behind it? What are you guys trying to accomplish in the long term? In terms of the actual incentive program? Uh, well, it's uh, from my understanding, it's both, right? It's uh, you're incentivizing the new liquidity through the rewards, and then you're also incentivizing your own um, um, blockchain, um, essentially, DApp development within the Avalanche ecosystem. So you're trying to essentially create something like Benki that doesn't exist on any other chain, um, like Trader Joe, which is a very yeah, native applications. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good question. So I think the approach we've taken is that Avalanche Rush is, is both a user acquisition and a developer acquisition program. The idea being that, you know, you need, you, you know, you need both. You can't have just one uh, for, for it to succeed. So, you know, by bringing over some of the blue chips like Aave, Curve, Sushi, et cetera, that helps with the user issue, being able to solve that. But longer term, our focus is on building, fostering, and, 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 and innovating with native applications. That's the most important thing long-term. And, uh, and that's where the majority of those incentives will be deployed. So, um, you know, there, there's kind of like a two-step process. One, you know, we brought over blue chips and, and, and you know, uh, we'll get users to try out the chain. Hopefully they like the time to finality. Hopefully they like the bridge. Hopefully they love the experience. And then they stay for the experience uh, and also the innovation. That's kind of the approach that we've taken. And I think from the user perspective, the way I've been communicating Rush 2 is 
is I think people tend to to look around and say, hey, there's a lot of these layer ones and, and even dApps that are providing incentives. What happens when the incentives um, kind of come to an end? And the comparison I always like to bring is that's relatable is, is kind of like the ride sharing user acquisition model, right? When Uber and, and Lyft started launching they, and every single ride sharing company had incentives. But at the end of the day, the ones that um, ended up I guess lasting beyond those incentives are the ones that provided actual value beyond just the incentives. So with Avalanche, the value props that we've been talking about, near instant transaction finality, low cost, um, decentralization, I think is also important too for, for some people. All these things are going to shine through once you use them. So simply put, come over to Avalanche, try it out because of the incentives. And once you're here, you're, you're really not going to want to leave. And you can take a look at the bridge metrics as well to see um, the inflows are are at a ratio of two to one for the most part um, on a, on an average time horizon, and we do think that as as the blue chips from Ethereum and also some of the other larger projects start coming and deploying on Avalanche, it, it just becomes even more compelling to stay because of the, all of the different apps that you could be using. So let's talk about those compelling apps because I think right around the corner we have Ave and curve launch on Avalanche with their own incentive systems. Um, I think, and Luigi, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's about 20 million for Aave and 10 for Curve? Uh, it's 7 million for Curve, 20 million for Aave for the first phase. For the first phase? For the first phase, yeah. So how many phases are there going to be? <laughs> TVD, but, you know, definitely two. <laughs> oh yeah, you have to name one, and then you have to say roll out the second one. Otherwise, yeah, that's that's the I mean, one. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not. I mean, I think that's kind of what I was trying to allude to in the beginning. It's not just a three-month incentive program. So, uh, yep, that's, that's kind of the, the thought. Yeah, if we looked at the bridge metrics, um, we actually saw a couple days ago that there was a lot of liquidity, I think it was in USDT that migrated from Ethereum to Avalanche. Um, a lot of people's assumption is that that's in the um, in the process of waiting for Ava and Curve to be launched on Avalanche. But I think there's a lot more other apps, um, exciting and native apps on Avalanche. Um, for example, our favorite one here is Trader Joe which um, has a lot of pools, has staking, has its own sort of uh, deflatory um, token pressure with buyback uh, from the transaction fees. Um, and also I think in the last seven days, uh, if we looked at the protocol revenue, I think they've even surpassed Avalanche um, for the seven day average revenue. Have you guys seen that metric yet? I, I saw... We, yeah, yeah, I saw the tweet. I don't. Yeah, I, I saw the tweet too. <laughs> I can't. Ver I can't verify it or not. I haven't looked into that. Um, I, but it wouldn't. You know, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. Just it's two different. You know, it's also different. Yeah, it's, Trader Joe has more contract calls, so just more fee yeah. fees mm -hmm. that get used. Yeah, and swaps, right? And swap. Yeah, swaps exactly. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's a correct compare. Like I compare Trader Joe to other DEXs, and that's cool. Um, but yeah. It's great. It's great to see the fees. I mean, the activity on Trader Joe has been fantastic. We have good good competition on chain with with various dexes and, and more of them launching. 
Kyber deployed as well. Sushi will deploy. Uh, Pangolin has has also been competing, and they'll also be making many changes to to kind of their structure. So it's great to see this competition on chain, and you know that's that's what makes us all better at the end. Yeah, so uh, Pangolin um, is going to be redesigning their UI and adding charts. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's right about on time for a two-year DeFi cycle. We need charts in DeFi. <laughs> yeah. It's also, I think they're also looking at um, tokenomics change as well from a, from a governance vote that I saw that they put up, but I guess it will, we'll see what happens there. So that'll be interesting. So what's your take um, on the protocols essentially uh, deploying and slowly kind of removing themselves from the equation uh, and becoming DAOs? Um, I think it's uh, from what we've seen so far, and we've talked to a couple of the DEXs, one of them being uh, guys at Bancor, uh, that seems to be a prevalent theme that a developer would uh, release a piece of code and then throughout um, some cycle iteration, slowly remove themselves from the governance process and essentially give back um, the governments to a wide array of the people um, through the token, which is, could be easily accessible. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think um, given the given the regulatory environment, um, you know, there's there's definitely concern with with some applications being, you know, centralized and whatnot. But at the end of the day, part of the reason we came here to do this is, is you know, a lot of people believe in decentralization, and it's great to see that this is actually being experimented on right now. That's 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 like exciting for me. Uh, in terms of you know what's needed, you still need to, you still need a core team or a team that's continuing to innovate. In my opinion, there's a fine balance between um, you know decentralizing too quickly, and, you know, versus being able to iterate and, and and innovate quite quickly. So that's that's a balance I think everybody's trying to learn. Um, but yeah, uh, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, the DAO dynamic. It's really just getting started. And, you know, it's been interesting. You know, we've we've submitted multiple votes for Aves, Aves DAO, um, mm -hmm. gone through that process. It's been quite smooth. Uh, but, it, you know, it's definitely something you need to get accustomed to learning how to use. And, and, you know, it's in some aspects really cool to be doing everything fully transparent. In other aspects can make you kind of weary, but, uh, you know, like, and, and, and it's much scarier, but... I think for the for the long term, this is this is what we you know most of us wanted. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned um, that you've guys submitted uh, the government's votes for Ave. Um, I think it's important to remind everyone uh, that Ave did um, a poll uh, within their DAO whether or not to migrate, uh, or I guess not necessarily migrate, but develop a parallel. Our application on the Avalanche um, through a Dell, right? That's right. Yeah, mm -hmm. that was yeah. voted upon. Yeah, and wasn't like a hundred percent to zero. Like ninety nine. Almost. <laughs> there was there was one. There's probably one. Somebody better. clicked the wrong button. Somebody. Yeah. Wrong Oops. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's essentially kind of the the power of of DAOs, right? Like it doesn't necessarily wait a lot. Um, on the one person or, or subgroup uh, that are not interested. It takes the majority group and takes that into the consideration. 
kind of like a, tr a true uh, decentralized approach to um, making decisions. Um, there's one application, um, or I guess the project uh, that I've heard you guys work on at Avalanche is uh, the app that would allow pulling of funds uh, for um, legal cases and litigation cases, like something that's currently being done through uh, funds and hedge funds within the industry and the traditional finance. Yeah. But what you guys are trying to do is, is that a DAO? Is that going to be a DAO or is it mostly going to be a kind of a separate pulling D app, like a liquidity app? I would say it's a little too early to comment on whether it's going to be a DAO or not. It seems like it's more of a, uh, like a pro like a marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it could have a token in, associated and could also be a DAO, I guess. But um, again, too, too early to say the first phase of, of that initiative. So initial litigation offering is what it's called, ILO. Um, uh, we're, we're working with um, a law firm called Roche Friedman and also Republic. Republic, um, some people may know that brand from uh the the kind of like equ uh, private placements on the equity side i think they do also fundraising for cryptos I'm, I'm actually not sure on that but they're pretty close in the crypto space at least they have one foot in the in in the realm and, and really trying to push far and wide in 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 that in that space as a as a more traditional fintech company and with ilos uh we're focusing on the first case which is a case um for this company called apotheo and apotheo they are hemp, uh, they're a hemp research facility. Um, I think it's like multi-billion dollar research facility. And uh, I believe a year or so ago, the, I think the county sheriff um, or some, uh, some kind of sheriff, I can't remember what, what level, um, came over and, and actually uh, unlawfully destroyed all of the, all of their crops. And so that's oh, wow. what, what the litigation is, is kind of revolved around. It's basically, um, a, a, I think it's a state level um, entity versus the Apotheo company. And so effectively, you're going to have the opportunity to um, help fundraise for, for this litigation. So if the litigation returns in the favor of, of the side that you pick, then, then uh, you, you can get the upside of, of that litigation. So that's kind of the loose idea. Um, and Apotheo is kind of the first test case. So that's what the team has been working towards to make sure that the the terms are right, um, all of the legal is 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 properly settled on at least on the terms side of things, and and also the technology. And then if this works well, then the platform is kind of the natural next step, making sure that you can create this marketplace for all types of litigations. That's the general idea. That's actually a very interesting sort of derivative marketplace uh, that right. I think has been accessible to uh, retail um, and just even uh, investment individuals, mostly for uh, hedge funds, prop, for prop shops, or some sort of funds that have some sort of capital allocation. Right. Large institutions yep. and, and high net worth might have access to it too. It's, it's also a relatively new um, industry as far as um, I, I understand it to be. Would that require um, additional oracles to be deployed just to keep in, I guess, the process of the litigation when it goes through several right. steps? Like, yeah, do I mean, you that's guys an go like, question. Do you guys are gonna go like that full automated route, or is it gonna be mostly kind of user input of, hey, we're at this stage? Yeah, I have to imagine that that is that could be one 
step forward. I know that because we are still trying to figure out like how one deal works within this potential um, ecosystem of, of many deals that, that work, work um, within each other on, on one seamless marketplace. We're, I think that could be natural next step, but again, it's, it's, it's a little bit too early because one of the things that is obviously a little bit complex is the fact that this is the first iteration of this type of technology and type of marketplace. So a lot of the stuff that we're doing, we're really trying to, to plan this carefully, especially with the partners that, that are on board and make sure that um, everything is done correctly. Also in, in to, to make sure that we can help out the Apotheo team as well. That sounds exciting. Um, what other applications do you guys have in store for the Avalanche community that you guys can talk about? Um, so, I mean, another side of things that I, I, I personally like to kind of bring up from time to time, and hopefully it'll become <laughs> more public as we move forward in the next coming months is, is some of the enterprise and institution, um, in, institutional interests. So on the enterprise side, the subnets as a capability is something that, um, the team has been talking about for some time and it, it is on the, the horizon, hopefully before the end of this year or early next year. Um, is roughly what, what we're aiming for. And what subnets will enable, at least with the enterprise side, what will enable enterprises to do is to deploy permission chains and, and have customizable rule sets within the chain that effectively um, is, is kind of like a, like a branch right off of the, the primary network is what we're calling the core uh, permissionless network. Mm-hmm. And so you have actually a handful of enterprises that have already created proof of concepts um, they're using them in their in their testing environments, and you basically have interest, s- serious interest, to use uh, blockchain technology f- to enable these en- these enterprises to do more than they're able to do today. So that's really cool. And I know, uh, I mean, Luigi and I have, have probably had the same uh, ec- been in the same echo chambers, but you consistently hear institutions are coming, institutions are coming. <laughs> that's probably been something that's been said for the last 10 plus years now. And, and I think that there's still quite a w- bit of ways to go to make them comfortable. But I, I really do think some of these touch points that we've seen on, on the Avalab side is, is reassuring that at least we're, we're going along the right path. So that's, that's something that I'm personally excited about. So subnets, is that going to be essentially kind of, like you mentioned, uh, as a branch out, uh, environments uh, like a private nets for the corporations or would that still going to be within the public uh, blockchain? So the same set of validators that validate the public chain, you also then have to take those validators and they then have to also validate that subnet that you, you're, you're basically running or it, I guess the, the way to say it is reverse. But so every subnet requires, uh, has the requirement of also validating the, the public, um, the primary network. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really up to the if it's a private entity or an enterprise it's it's up to them on how they want to govern that and they can create whatever rule set that makes sense for them but also on the flip side another kind of more um i guess uh low-hanging use case is is the idea of running virtual machines to help other blockchains scale so the evm is a perfect example the evm is 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 the only implementation on the contract side currently and that's um that's the contract chain is is what we're calling it, mm-hmm. and so that's basically that's showing the C to, chain, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's basically showing to the world that you can take the EVM, 
put it on top of av avalanche consensus and scale um, Ethereum effectively in, in a very elegant manner. And so you can have other chains so long as they're programmed in a VM or, or they have a VM um, instance, I guess is a better way to say it, then that can sit on top of another, um, I guess, subnet. And you can basically then have this um, kind of network of different blockchains that are all powered by Avalanche consensus. That sounds very powerful. That yeah. sounds essentially not just kind of developing your own blockchain and your own ecosystem, but also scaling other chains. Yeah, exactly. What are you guys excited about? Um, because again, Avalanche has the EVM, right? So the scalability and the portability of different dApps from Ethereum is very viable, um, but this is just essentially just wrapping it in the new lines of code. What are you guys excited about bringing from Ethereum ecosystem and scaling, um, giving it essentially more room to breathe? Um, one example on our side is um, we thought maybe a bank or should have um, used the EVM and scaled it on Avalanche because um, the way that they use the single-sided liquidity provider, um, they solve essentially their impermanent loss solution. But because their contracts are pretty complex into the deployment, it costs a lot more gas to pay for those transactions. And whenever you unstake them, essentially you have to go through two sets of iterations of deploying a contract and paying for it, where that can be essentially solved on Avalanche because again, transaction uh, finality is very low um, and the fees are as well. So what apps are you guys excited to bring over um, using the VM? What, what would be your dream application? Except of course, Avin Curve that we know and Sushi as well. Yeah, maybe, uh, I don't know if it's the dream application, but for me, it's 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 kind of like the, the obvious of, if you have a network that scales, so many of these cool ideas that exist on unscalable platforms and networks um, can't really work at its full potential, right? So one example is something like a Sableer. I, I, that's just kind of top of mind. If you don't know what Sableer is, it, it, it's, its goal is to provide real-time payments. So one kind of far out use case is saying, imagine if you had um, your employee, employer's paychecks coming through, but just streaming on a real-time basis, not this uh, twice a month or every other week cadence. Okay, that's, unfortunately, a very, that's a very interesting concept. Exactly. Unfortunately, if you have high gas fees, it probably will eat up your whole paycheck. It's not actually <laughs> usable, but with uh, chains like Avalanche, I think that that is something that can be tested, and and you know that's that's where you can actually run it, and and see if it's a viable product within the market. And that's what excites me is because there's some things where it's like it's not you 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 just have to keep on guessing uh, whether or not it's viable based on you know strong strong. I guess, educated guesses as opposed to actually testing in real time. Yeah, Sable is a very great example. Um, I think, again, um, the architecture of Avalanche allows this kind of applications to function in relatively real time to finality. Um, but Luigi, what do you, what do you think? Um, what's uh, one of the apps on your list that you would love to bring over? Or maybe there is something that in-house that you're working on. Uh, you're on mute, Luigi, if you're trying to speak. Oops. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, I always harp on innovation because that's the most important thing. So there's plenty of uh, plenty of things in-house. 
that, that, we're, that we're working on. But, you know, and when I say in-house, I don't mean at Ava Labs, but just, you know, there's other applications that are that are building it natively on the Avalanche ecosystem. But, you know, I'm excited about a lot of Ethereum dApps. It'd be cool to get something like a balancer on Avalanche, you know, that, you know, they're with their pricing curve being a little bit different. Um, it'd be also cool to get a few others, but I, I'm, I'm most excited about the things that don't exist yet. Um, you know, and, and, and what, and, and whether that's DeFi or whether it's social or, you know, other aspects that we can go in web three, I'm excited about all of that. You know, I, I think that DeFi is still such a small, small snippet snippet of what we're going to see in the next five years. And, you know, we can be overly focused on, you know, all these different, um, you know, staking platforms and AMMs and DEXs and lending platforms. Um, but I think that's really just going to be a primitive that allows the Web3 to scale into, you know, being used in everyday life. And, and that's what's more exciting to me. I think, uh, Jay, that you mentioned the ILO, um, the initial litigation offering, I think that's a very fresh concept to bring in um, into the decentralization framework and allow essentially users to participate in those kind of auctions. Um, I think another great example would be um, a perfect fit for Avalanche would be uh, a social network. And I think uh, Stani, uh, who is uh, uh, the founder, uh, mentioned that they are building something like that. Um, and considering, again, um, the low transaction costs and time to finality that Avalanche has, um, that social network would flourish with relatively low costs um, within your ecosystem. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Did I, I mean, did, I, did, did I did I hit the sweet spot? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you, you know, it's uh, it's interesting, but I'm really excited to see what Mustani and the crew put together on the social graph. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, just from knowing him in general, I'd imagine that that gets deployed in multiple places. Unclear as to where that gets deployed at this moment, but. Uh, I can't say how excited I am about that because it's something I've been waiting for since, you know, I first read the Ethereum white paper. You know, that's something that always excited me. Um, so yeah, we'll 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 see. Um, I, I have no alpha to drop on that uh, at all. <laughs> Jay, what about you? Any comments? Um, yeah, I, I'm not related to anything that we're necessarily doing, but I think general comments, I, I do, it actually does, um, fascinate me that, that kind of sector of, of decentralized social, um, just cause so many people have tried it. Also, if you were around during like the 2016 to 2018 era, a lot of projects deployed, um, and, and didn't really go too, too far. I think one of the main issues is people kind of conflate the idea of blockchain because it's immutable because it's secure um and all the things we know about it to to be kind of like the solution for everything and it's not there's still that layer of of who's who's programming the data into in on chain who's who's managing the front end how do the how do the incentive structures work there's a lot more complexities than just propping up a facebook clone and and, and somehow settling that on chain i don't even know how you do that but uh i, I think one key example is voting if you think about voting and and tying that into token economics, then you have incentives baked in to want to make more money. So you're going to have people that come in and, and 
I don't know, maybe uh, figure out how to to fraudulently vote to in increase the amount of money that say that post is getting. Um, for example, like I remember early days, Steam, Steam it was is was one implementation. It was kind of like a Reddit board, but um, all of the functions were tied to the tokens. Um, and I recall at one point it it was just a huge feed of people trying to create as much content as possible to make as much money as possible. And I don't think that's the right use case. And I don't think the team really thought that was likely the right outcome either, but it's just the inevitable, I think, in these types of cases. So um, same thing with, um, I guess I forgot that decentralized Twitter, but- Twitch? No, it was uh, it was one that like came out of nowhere and, and all the VCs were on it. Um, Anyways, it was. Oh yeah, I think I, I think I'm. I remember that one too. Um, yeah, I, I think... forgot the name. Where you <laughs> exactly? Where, where you paid to, for likes? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, you just like recover your Twitter on this decentralized Twitter using mm -hmm. your your main Twitter, and and then you can just get paid. I guess uh, is probably like the loose structure of it. But <laughs> point is, is the fact that I don't even know it, um, and and don't know too much about it is, is probably that it it kind of just went away on the wayside and maybe they're building other improvements and i i'm never one to dismiss something this early kind of like maybe maybe crypto twitter holistically might might be doing sometimes a little bit too soon but um it is a tough challenge at the end of the day so that's what excites me more because i think once someone cracks it then you're gonna see this huge huge rush and and kind of the floodgates opening towards towards that sector and that that's that's something that excites me holistically it seems like whenever somebody cracks the formula uh, for like yeah. the under, uh, underlying kind of technology, like for example, when Uniswap came over and then we have uh, all of these DEXs. Just AMM, appearing. yeah, exactly. Just like copy and paste GitHub. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For better or for worse, I don't know. But I think um, generally speaking, people have been pretty savvy and in innovating beyond just the fork. Like whether it's, you know, the protocol might say the same, but maybe the UI changes, maybe the UX changes a little bit, maybe uh, the whole branding changes. And and one, I actually wrote a thread on Trader Joe the other day and, and my my stance was more so on the marketing community side, just cause that's what I know best. And as I was clicking through a long time ago, I remember thinking, oh, this is actually quite fun. Um, and I don't necessarily know again, if it's good or bad for finance to be fun, but hey, maybe we can take the stance of saying who says finance can't be fun or at least more enjoyable than, um, I don't know, like your traditional finance portal where you're, you're, you're probably mostly angry while you're using it. Well, that's probably more of a Luigi question once you use the trade swaps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Smash well, his keyboard. Well, let me be clear, trading is in general pretty fun. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I feel like that just outsider in, it seems like you guys have fun. <laughs> yeah, but in terms of game, gamifying finance, you know, there's clearly some regulatory issues with to discuss with that. But I actually, my opinion, my personal opinion is that like gamifying doesn't have to be a bad thing. It doesn't have to equate into you know gambling or you know doing things that you know could potentially harm people over the long run. Right? Gamifying could also be used to help people save save money, could help them invest money wisely. Um, you know, gamifying in general for applications is, has worked. And so, uh, you know, I imagine that to be here to stay in the long term uh, in terms of some of the crazier stuff that you see that gamifies people into bad habits, sets something. We'll see how that, uh, that, how that gets handled in the long run. 
But I, I think the whole intention of the blockchain community um, is to bring more transparency to these kind of systems like loot boxes or even gamification of uh, traditional finance or even the um, kind of more of crypto finance like with swaps and liquidity provisions as well. Um, we we'll live in this area where everything is sort of gamified, if you think about it, if you're a character in your own video game. Um, but the incentives definitely kind of bring the awareness to a lot of institutions and individuals saying, okay, you are playing with your capital, you're playing with your liquidity, um, and here are the risk rewards for you. And what blockchain does essentially puts all of those things in motion and makes it transparent. And that's, I think, what I love about it the most. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we're running out of time, unfortunately, but thank you, Luigi and Jay, for joining today. Um, any clothing th thoughts, anything that you guys would like to share or point any new listeners or existing listeners, um, the floor is yours. I would say from my side, I think the most useful resources, if you want to tap into Avalanche DeFi and the page is getting improved, as, as we speak, actually, um, and it was mentioned on the call, is ecosystem.avax.network or avox.network. That, that page has all of the dApps um, and, and that kind of experience where you're, you're taken from, let's say, the bridging or, or even some of the exchanges. We really want to make sure that there isn't any work that needs to be done from the user's end. So they just simply go, oh, well, I can use these tokens and these dApps or, or these are the dApps that are participating in Rush. So really, really want to stress that, that domain because it's super important, especially for someone that's new. Yeah, for me, it's, uh, you know, I, I would just say in general, I echo what Jay said, but, you know, if there's any feedback as people continue to start to use Avalanche, across the ecosystem, things that we're desperately missing or we can improve upon, you know, please write to Jay, myself on Twitter. We'd be happy to take that feedback in and really do a better job on our side. Uh, I think you'll see with um, Avi and Curve deploying, I hope everybody gets to try, try out the chain, the experience. And, you know, I'm, I'm, that excites me. I'm shocked that that question was not asked on this podcast at this point. Because <laughs> it's every DM. <laughs> like, I have, like, 900 of them. Um, but, you know, that's uh, that's going to happen this week. So we're very excited about that. Uh, and uh, look forward to people trying out the chain and, and providing feedback on how we can be better. Absolutely. For everybody that's listening, uh, we're supposed to be live on September 29th. And by that time, you should see Ave and Curve on Avalanche. Hope you guys try it maybe, and maybe, enjoy it. Maybe. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I said this week. Very <laughs> soon. Yeah, very soon. <laughs> well, TM. This week. <laughs> T minus T plus five days. Uh, yeah, exactly. You guys exactly. There it is. This. <laughs> there it is. Whenever you guys are listening to this, um, I could breathe again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if it's not live yet, uh, just tweet at Luigi Dimio and just send him some friendly frogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. But it was an absolute pleasure having you guys. I uh, hope we'll get to chat and chance chat soon again. Uh, but wish you. All the best. Uh, you guys are working hard at Avalanche and really looking forward to see what comes out of it.
Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for the time. Awesome. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Appreciate it too. Thank you everyone who just joined for another great episode of Barkov. We had an amazing guest from Avalanche, Joey and Luigi. Thank you guys so much for joining for today's episode. Everyone who is listening, if you want to find out more about Avalanche, go ahead and explore their domain. They have an amazing bridge from Ethereum to Avalanche. Uh, it's very cost effective and the UI is frankly great. But if you enjoyed this episode, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and consider subscribing on your platform of choice. But until then, I'll see you guys in the next one.